0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller.
1: From 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 33, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there's a daily pressure of me, my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, Knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. You may be seated.
0: God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in and through, you know, our, our church family, our world. Um, God, we we do lift up Mark and, and Kathy to you as they will be traveling to Africa. Uh, with a whole team to build this medical facility, uh, that, that's a pregnancy center. God, I ask that you'd bless uh, all the efforts that we that, that that they would be able to raise enough money to cover the costs for supplies to finish the project. And God, I, I, I thank you for what you're doing here in Cheyenne. I, I think of Volunteers of America, and I God, it, it's a huge need with the which you've called them to 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 address with regarding the homeless and addiction and, and just so many other things there. And just, guy, I, I pray in some way that we as a church would be able to partner with them. I thank you for what they're doing. God, the needs here in Cheyenne are great, and uh, you've called us to this city and to the world to be a light and to be salt in, a, in this place that is dark and in and, and a world that is rotten. God, just all the the, the craziness in, in surrounding our lives, whatever anxiety that's going on um, individually that's represented in this room or those watching the live stream, God, I ask that you would quiet those, that you would soften our hearts to your word, and you would give us ears to hear, that we would see even when, when it feels like we are just being, you know, even when it feels like we're abandoned by you, even when it feels like we're being crushed under the circumstances of life, uh, that through this message you would encourage each and every person in this room and watching the live stream that you are the God who, yes, you, you you give us things that feel like it is more than we can handle, but but there's a reason for that and there's a purpose for that. And So God, give us ears to hear today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, you'll, you'll be happy to know if you were here last week, um, after the first service, learned lots of stuff about succulent plants. Uh, so uh, uh, like the picture I had was not a succulent plant. Um, poinsettias were not succulent plants. Uh, so I was able to go into the second service more well-informed, right? So you're like, you know, I, so yeah, it's good. I, uh, I, I learned some stuff. And, and I got a fake succulent plant during the week. Somebody came into the office with a fake succulent plant and said, this is what a succulent plant looks like. You don't have to water it because it's fake. And so that was last week. We, uh, <laughs> last week we started this sermon series titled, Christians Say the Darndest Things. And uh, I, I shared with you last week, and if you weren't here last week, I'm, I'll just share it again. I, I'm in a place uh, where... I, I just I'm not deconstructing in terms of my faith at all, but when it comes to being the church, I'm thinking through what you know what is it, Lord that you're calling us to strip away and so this is kind of this sermon series is kind of like the icebreaker of uh, of a sermon series that will come like eight weeks later uh, on the uh, Sermon on the Mount and so I'm looking forward to that today we're going to look at another thing that you may have heard that God will you know, somebody, I've heard this said you know in churches. I've been a pastor for a while. every statement that we'll address in the sermon in this sermon series is something I've heard Christians say in the church. This is the second one God will not or sometimes I've heard never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that before and, and maybe you even used that phrase maybe you've said that. Um, I know early on in my Christian life i I'm sure I said something to that effect. And the, the question that we should ask always, any time we're, we're, we're you know, assuming something that the Bible says, is just search the Scriptures. And does the Bible really say that? Uh, how many of you have heard, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, probably all of you, but how many of you have heard footsteps, or footsteps in the sand? right that poem, um, I don't. Nobody really knows who wrote it. As I was looking to find out who who authored this thing, there's actually. I don't know if it's an ongoing lawsuit, but there are people suing each other, saying claiming that they authored it. Um, I'm like, well, that's ironic. Footsteps in the sand about Jesus carrying you through the darkest times of your life. Let's sue each other. Um, so, so, but. It's been used at funerals and memorial services. A lot of times I see see it either on a bookmark that comes with the program of the memorial service. It was uh, really popularized towards the late 70s and and early 80s. Uh, The late President Ronald Reagan... Uh, did a variant of uh, footsteps or read a variant of uh, I mean footprints at the, on f- February 5th the 1981 um, National Prayer Breakfast. But if you're not familiar with it, I'll, I'll just read it for you. The words will not be on the screen. You can just look at the picture of the footprints. Um, One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his, of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, You said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, My son, my precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you um and i and i want to ask is has that is that your experience is that my experience in the darkest and hardest times does the lord carry his people through such experiences and if he does what does it mean that he carries us through seasons of suffering and trials in our lives is it true that god will not give you more than you can handle there are two passages that Christians uh, have used uh, in support of that statement. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That statement or that verse in 1 Corinthians is really saying you know, God will never put, uh, uh, allow you to be in a situation where your only recourse, your only alternative is to sin against him. That's what that verse is saying. There's another verse that has been used to support that statement about God not giving you more than you can handle, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30-31, through 31, which says, The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. And so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about that statement. And like I said last week, there's an element of truth in each of these statements. Um, but I was thinking about Israel. like In light of that verse, I was thinking about Israel and, how, and, and what, it, what it meant for God to carry them need you think about that. What it meant was that they had to experience and endure some of the hardest things in their lives, and it was God who empowered them and walked with them and led them through that experience. For example, uh, God led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But during that time, there were people, there were enemies that wanted to kill the people of God. Egypt pursued them at one point before they were drowned by the sea, after God parted the sea, but every place I read in the Bible, I never, have, I never see any place where God is carrying His people in such a way that they they are exempt from experiencing the suffering that He's called them to. You know, you know what I mean. And and then that's why I, I my attention was turned to Second Corinthians. Chapter 11 and Chapter 12, because I don't know about you, but when I read about the Apostle Paul's experience, that seems a little much to me. How about you? Like you think about that? Like, like I mean, think about what this guy experienced, and he was warned when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road before when he was formerly known as Saul. Jesus said, "You're going to be my." Representative, you're going to be my man. You're going to be my disciple, and I'm going to I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And Paul, that's your new name. <laughs> you're going to suffer a lot for my namesake. And so, um, and, he, and and he gives his list of everything that he experienced. Why did he do this? Well, just so you understand the context of Second Corinthians, Paul wrote this letter to this jacked-up church. And in Second Corinthians, he felt the need to defend his authority and his role as an apostle. There were people who were claiming to be apostles of Jesus Christ who were calling into question uh, Paul's uh, you know role as an apostle because of everything that he suffered, as if that was, meant that it was Ill, that, that his role as an apostle was illegitimate. And the point that he was making, In fact, he he states in the first five chapters of 2 Corinthians that suffering is an important part in the Christian's experience. And, And in these two chapters, chapter 11 and 12, he shows how he himself endured much suffering. And that this suffering proves his legitimacy, or one of the proofs of his legitimacy as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And anybody who claims that suffering has no part in the Christian's life is, is a false teacher, according to Paul. He even calls them false brothers. And so he lists like these things that he suffered. I mean, crazy things. Things like you know, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten he, with rods, he was flogged with, with, with whips, he, uh, we we learn of his life. At one point, he was bitten by a venomous snake. Um, it says, uh three times, three times I was shipwrecked." I mean, after the first time, I'm like, "I'm not sailing anymore. I'm not, I'm not traveling by boat." No, it's like it's like being in a plane and crashing. Once is enough. I I survived. I'm not, yeah. You know, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, and he just gives his list of everything that he suffered. He endured much suffering. And um, and when I read his story, I think, man, that seems, I mean, if I were him, it would feel very much like those experiences were at times unbearable. Well, wouldn't it feel that way for you? I mean, in Christians in the West, in America, we're wimps, right? Like, We get a virus and we're ready to wig out. Paul suffered all throughout his ministry, um, faced danger. And not just Paul, the rest of the apostles too. And so um, there were these people who inserted themselves like a virus in Paul's ministry. They would follow him and they would find out where he landed and then they would come in after he was gone and they would confuse the Christians. And so Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm speaking like a madman, but I feel like I have to share this. I've suffered much, and here's how I've suffered. And these guys say that they have visions and dreams. Well, I've had a vision, I've had a vision too. I'm not going to say it was me, but it was, it was me. <laughs> and he goes in to say, he, he goes in and he talks about that a little bit. Um, and on top of that, he says, and the anxiety of the churches... Caring for Christians. Like somewhere around 50 AD, Paul uh met the Corinthians and he brought the gospel with him, and people wound up placing their faith and trust in Jesus as a result, and the church was birthed as a as a result. He suffered much, but he didn't even stop there. Like he he said, okay, chapter 12, verse 1. (laughs) I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I know a man in Christ. I talked about this uh, like three or four weeks ago um, in one of my sermons leading up to Christmas. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And it was right around the same time period, give or take a year, um, during his second missionary journey, that he went into this town or this city, Lystra, and uh, there were people there, uh, people uh, who thought what Paul was teaching was dangerous, and they got the crowds and the mob kind of rallied up, and they stoned him. We read about that in Acts chapter 14. They took stones, like not little pebbles, stones, uh, with the intent of crushing his skull and breaking his body, for the purpose of killing him, they did that. And we read in Acts chapter 14, they drug his body outside the city, assuming or presuming that he was dead. And he, I believe, Paul is describing that experience, um, <laughs> the in-between time where they presumed he was dead, and the time, uh, and and moments later when he. Uh, was surrounded by his friends. He got up, brushed himself off, and went back into the city. Which, again, I, you know, he was thr- shipwrecked three times. Uh, being stoned is good enough. I've, I would have gone on to the next city, but but he didn't. And and he describes this moment, and he says, "I I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast." except of my weakness. And then he goes on in verse 6 of chapter 12, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think, me, think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. It, this is not in my notes, but let me just point this out. Anytime you encounter a pastor, or you're watching some dude on, on TV who makes much of himself turn off the TV or leave the church. Um, the, the model of pastoral ministry that Paul and others in the Bible demonstrate is, is the model that John the Baptist gave. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Right? And so, so Paul says, you know, I don't want to boast, but because of these dummies that are following me around, I, I feel like I need to just point out I'm a legitimate apostle because, one, I introduced you to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and two, I have suffered much for the cause of Christ, which is an important part of the Christian the, the, the experience of the Christian. Um, and then, here's my second point. Um, he was given more than he can handle. Paul was given more than he can handle. Like I, This is what I find so interesting about... About this this passage. Now, this part was not read, and this is where I'm going to camp rest, the rest of our time together. And it is in Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, and I'll read it for you. He said, "So, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. What revelations? Well, the one I just told you about." Um, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He, he, he lists all these experiences that he endured, suffering, legitimate suffering. And then he, he talks about this out-of-body experience that was the result of him being stoned to death. And you would think, wow, that's as bad as it gets. And in here, in verse 7, he's saying, no, that's not as bad as it gets. It gets worse. To keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me a me a messenger of Satan. What does that mean? We're not exactly sure. It was probably physical. Theologians think that most likely it had something to do with his eyes. My guess is after reading these verses about what he endured, he probably had significant scar tissue. He probably had... Bones that were really achy. I, I read um, one one book where the author said most likely, in order for Paul to be able to get up in the morning, somebody had to be there to rub oil into his scar tissue so he could move. And he experienced God's healing in other people's lives. He saw God move in profound ways, where you know, just just walking by somebody, somebody getting healed. He saw demons cast out of people who were possessed. And he said in, in, in verse 8, if you're tracking in your Bible, which you should be, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now he's not talking about sin. He's not saying I'm struggled with this sin, I'm just inclined towards, it. I keep falling into it. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about something physical or maybe even emotional that's going on in his life that would not go away. He felt crushed by it. And he pleaded with the Lord about this. It says that he pleaded three times. And what was the answer that he received? Yeah. No, I'm not taking it away from you. Anybody been there before? Like you ever experienced that? Like the suffering in your life is so much you're like swimming in it. Like I don't. I mean, I've been there, where it feels like you're in the middle of the ocean, just treading water, and there's no land in sight. That's Paul, and and so so the answer was no each time, and then. The response, the, the, the response of, of Jesus was, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Paul. I, I, the, um, the interesting thing about this is that in verse 7, Paul doesn't say, ah, by chance I my eyes got messed up and I got to live with this. And I asked that God would heal me and he chose not to. He says in verse 7 to keep me from being conceited, this was given to me. And the point, brothers and sisters, is not that it was given to him by Satan, it was given to him by God. And Satan was used. As a tool in the, in the hands of Almighty God to accomplish his good purpose in paul's life if you're, if you're like doubting that, just read job right and job, job's all about the suffer all about suffering and, and the central the, the, the person who was the center of all that suffering was a righteous man and even though he was a righteous man, uh, his, his kids got killed, his wife was not helpful she's like you know what? You're sick, the your kids are dead, you lost all your, inherit- your wealth, just curse God and die, right? Not a great person to be married to during a season like that. Um, and, and we're told that Satan asked permission. I, I bet you I can get Job to renounce you and to turn his back on you. And God said, have at it, you just can't take his life. I, I said this before, and i, I got to say it again. Satan is one person. He doesn't have time to pick on you, okay? Um, there are instances where he, uh, he picks on individuals, like Job, for, for example. He's got a whole legion of demons at his, under his authority and at his disposal for a limited period of time. He is on a leash, friends. It's a long leash. He is on a leash. And the one who holds the leash is God Almighty. Okay, so that's not in my notes, but you need to hear it. I just felt I'm compelled to share that with you. And so um, what's interesting about this, what's interesting about this is Paul says, three times I pleaded. Why would, he, why, would he just, why would he say three times? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. I think legitimately he pleaded three times. I don't know how long those pleadings were, there have been seasons in my life where I prayed through the night, you know, um, where I was just beside myself. Maybe it was like that. Maybe there were three, circumstances, three situations in his life where he just was on his face before God praying for hours. But he said, three times I pleaded. You know, as you read that, your mind should, like, wander over to a garden called Gethsemane, where Jesus didn't just pray once. He didn't just pray twice. He prayed three times. He prayed three times in the garden. Check it out, Mark, uh, chapter 14. And and while he was praying, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, remove this cup from me what cup the cup of his wrath the cup of uh, 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 a damnation for for sinners like you and me if possible remove this cup from me and then he concluded yet not what i will but what you will and he drank the cup in your place and in my place jesus drank the cup by going to the cross for people like paul And and unlike the cup that Jesus drank in Paul's place, the thorn was not given to Paul because God was angry with him. Some of you need to hear that. Your suffering and your pain that you experience is not the result of an angry God. It is the result of God bringing his, his fire into your life to burn away the dross so that what is left is more pure. Read the first five chapters of 2 Corinthians. You'll see it all through there. And, and so Jesus took Paul's wrath when he drank the cup so that Paul would never have to experience God's wrath. And the thorn that was given to Paul was not to, to just to make life miserable for him. It was because God loved him too much to leave him, at him you know, to himself you know, to his pride and to his arrogance. And, um, and so then, then the answer is given to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the question again that I ask is, does God give you, or is it true that God never will give you more than you can handle? And the answer, my answer my, to my, my experience from what I read in the scriptures is of course he gives us more than we can handle but not so much that his grace cannot sustain us through it. And so um, he says, Therefore I boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. It's like, it's like doing the two-step or whatever. You know, it's, just, it's the, the journey of the Christian is one step. It's is a step of weakness and the other step of strength. And the strength comes from the grace of God. And they go hand in hand. I don't understand why the ESV translated this word um, content. It's um, the word that's uh, that that's used. In the Greek, can actually, it's mostly translated as pleased. It's udo keo, I believe is the way you pronounce it, but it's that word. You can go to the next slide. I think it's the next slide, yep. Quite literally, for the sake of Christ, then I am actually well pleased with weakness. The other way it can be translated, what the word means, can also mean delighted. For the sake of Christ, then I am delighted with my weakness. <laughs> Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? Because through my weakness, the glory of Christ is displayed. Through my brokenness, his glory shines through me. I have a picture in my office. I invite you just to just go to my office sometime, and it's hanging over the couch in my office, and it's two hands, nail-scarred hands, holding a clay pot that's broken, and there's light beaming out. That, we're the pot. <laughs> and the one that's holding us up is the ha- is, is, is Jesus, who, who, who promises us that he'll never let us go. He'll never forsake us. And so, <clears throat> so pleased Paul. Why? Because, because the glory of Christ and the, and the power of Christ is displayed through his weakness. Did that mean that Paul was giddy about his circumstances? No. Not at all. Um, he endured much. And, uh, you yeah, know, there was a verse um, I actually skipped over, but I, I want to I point this out because I think it's important. You know, he experienced all these sufferings. It was around A.D. 50, like I said, that he introduced the gospel to the Corinthians, to the city of Corinth. It was around that same time that he met a guy by the name of Timothy. You have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in your Bible. Those are letters that Paul wrote to this young man who came to faith. I don't know if he came to faith as a result of Paul's ministry or he came to faith shortly before Paul. I mean, his, his uh, Timothy's, I believe, mom and, and, and some of his family members had an influence in his faith. But he met Paul, and Paul took him with him. It was right around that same time In fact, some theologians believe that Timothy came from Lystra where Paul was stoned and drug out of the city. Then God miraculously healed him. He dusted himself off and went back into the city. And and one of my favorite letters in the New Testament is 2 Timothy. It's Paul's swan song. It's his last letter that he wrote before he was beheaded and what he said in that letter to this young man was for i am already being poured out as a drink offering it's a picture of this a drink offering that would be poured out around at the base of the altar Uh, when the Israelites or the Levites would and the priests would worship the Lord, it was a drink offering. He said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. My life has been a testament to the glory of God and the majesty of Christ. It has been on display as worship before the Lord. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Like, he, that's what Paul experienced, and even up to the point of his death. Like, his suffering ended with him being beheaded. And somewhere in between, him being stoned in Lystra and uh, him being beheaded by a Roman guard, he pleaded with the Lord, please remove this from me. Please remove this from me. Please remove this from me. And the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul's response was, bring it on then sustain me and keep me, mold me and shape me with your hands and with your will. There is a word that is used, in, um, that Jesus used, in describing how it is that you're able to be sustained when God gives you more than you can handle on purpose. <laughs> and the word is abide to take up residence in Jesus. Jesus said this in John chapter 15 verses 4 through 5. Abide in me. This is what he said to his disciples. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says, what? He says, let's read this together. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I said uh, each message, I'm going to mention the name of God, and we don't have time to dive into this too much, but the Old Testament equivalent to abiding in Jesus is uh, found in a name that's used of God, and that name is El Shaddai, the All-Sufficient One. You know when it's first used? It's used in Genesis for the first time. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was like 99 years old and Sarah, his wife, was 89 years old and they still didn't have a child. And in that chapter, God tells Abraham, I am covenanting with you. I am promising you that next year, by this time, you two will have a child together. And Abraham like, laughed, like, how is this possible? My wife's going to be 90 years old. I'm going to be 100. Well, with God, all things are possible. Abraham, you don't have the power to generate a child. You don't have the ability, and that's the point. That's the point. I'm going to do it through you. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai is used 30 times in a particular, at least 30 times in a particular book of The Bible in the Old Testament. You know what book that is? Job. There's another word that Paul uses that's the equivalent of abiding in Jesus, and it's the phrase that we actually sang this last song before we started, before I opened up the scriptures with you, and that is in Christ. It's a combination of in Christ or in Him referring to Christ. It's used about 180 times in the New Testament. Do you know how many times Paul used it in his epistles? About 140. You want to know what sustained him? As he had this thorn in his flesh? You want to know how he was able to say, I fought the good fight as he's in prison. There's some dude outside prison by the window as he's in the Maritime prison, shackled around his waist and his wrists and his ankles. He's probably got, you know, you know, the skin being was rubbed away from, from, from his from his muscle and he's just in pain and it's cold and it's damp and he's waiting. He's awaiting his execution. Do you know why he was able to say I'm being poured out as a drink offering and and that I have fought the good fight of the faith? Do you know why? Not because of anything that he was able to do, but because of what Christ did through him. And the secret to Paul's success, which is really not a secret, is that he abided in Christ. Do you want to know how to keep yourself from cap your your faith from capsizing and is abiding in him how do you do that keep your nose in this book you seek him you keep your eyes on him in christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm from the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, take out your communion packet thing. It was in Christ that Paul's weakness gave way to strength. It was in Christ that was Paul finding his hope and his life in Christ that sustained him. And the same thing is true of you, brothers and sisters. You know, every time we gather together and, and we celebrate communion, The reason why we eat something is to remind us that in order to live, we need to take something that is outside of us and put it inside of us. That's what Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And, and the way that you can have life is if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Was he saying, was he saying something weird? No, what he was saying was, take my words, digest them into your soul. And when you celebrate communion or when you eat this bread in remembrance of him, remember that in his life is where you find your life. In the midst of your weakness, it is in him that you find strength. He held up the bread in that upper room before he was about to be crucified, and he said every time you gather together, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together. Does God give you more than you can handle? Yes. But his grace is sufficient for you. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. I can't help but think when Paul prayed three times, pleaded three times, Jesus prayed in the garden, accepted the cup, willingly drank from the cup. In the garden and on the cross, Jesus was crushed so that you never would be. That's what garden means. It means olive press, or Gethsemane. That's what Gethsemane means, the olive press. Jesus was abandoned by God so that you would forever be treasured by God. Jesus suffered the unbearable wrath of his father in your place so that you could experience the unrelenting grace and ever-reaching mercy of El Shaddai, the God who sustains, the all-sufficient one. He held up the cup and he said, I'm going to shed my blood for you. I'm going to purchase you. I'm going to redeem you. You're going to be mine. And every time that you gather together, I want you to remember what was accomplished on the cross. Let's drink together. Isn't that good news? That sure beats God will never give you anything you can't handle. Right? If anything has proven, if COVID has proven anything the last couple years, um, there's a lot we can't handle. And uh, his grace is made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for the gospel, that Jesus, your son, lived the life we could never live, the perfect life. In our place, he lived that life. And then he he went to the cross. He went to the cross to endure your wrath, a wrath that we deserved. He endured in our place. And on that cross, he was crushed for our iniquities. On that cross, he he had the scourge marks from the the cat-of-nine-tails that ripped flesh from his back. And on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He endured that so that we never would experience those things. He endured that so that we would only know what it means to be a son or to be a daughter of the God of all creation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That there would be no condemnation for anyone whose hope is in Jesus. And that he was buried and then he was. Then on the third day he rose from the grave and he ascended and he's at the right hand of you, O Father, interceding on our behalf and he's promising that one day he's coming back not just to judge the living and the dead but to, to claim his bride. That is us. And oh, we long for that day but until then, until then through our weakness may we experience your power. Until that day, through these cracked pots that we are, may the world see the glory of Christ shine through us. Until that day, may we go, just as you have commanded us, Jesus, into the world to make disciples of all nations. And it's in His, the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.